Hello, everyone, and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, the Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast this week. We are blessed and excited to have three wonderful guests with us today. And these three guests will be our presenters on May 20th, 21st, and 22nd at our Budget Finance Workshop, which we're really super excited about. And so introducing them, uh, we have Nick Regina, who is the president of Melbourne Central Catholic High School in Florida. We have Chris Knowles, who's the vice principal of the upper school at American Martyrs School in Manhattan Beach, California. And we have Dave Gervasio, Vice President of Finances and Facilities at Roncalli High School in Indianapolis. All of these Catholic educators have great, great knowledge to share, but one of the, the huge assets they bring to our workshop next week is practical experience. They are all in schools right now and dealing with the challenges that we face with regard to COVID-19 and the pandemic and all of those challenging situations that we're trying to think through. We're also blessed by their geographic diversity. Um, we have them all parts of the country, and so I know they'll have great wisdom to share. So with that brief um, kind of overview, we'll turn it over to them. And uh, Nick, why don't you give a little bit more background on yourself? Sure, Kevin. Good to be with everybody. Uh, I'm the uh, president at Melbourne Central Catholic High School in Melbourne, Florida, as Kevin said. Uh, prior to coming down here to be president at uh, MCC, which this is my first year, I spent four years in the school's office of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia as one of the deputy secretaries of education, focusing on external relations, marketing, development, those aspects of the school business. For the six years prior to that, I was in the Camden Diocese as the executive director for Catholic schools. Uh, again, I, I took care of kind of external relations stuff for schools, including budgets and finance. Uh, before that, did a little consulting with the Healy Education Foundation. And then for the 23 years before that, I was an English teacher and then an administrator at a Catholic high school in South Jersey. Thanks so much, Nick. We're uh, so excited to have you with us. Chris Knowles, give a little bit of your background. Hi, Kevin. Great to be here. My name is Chris Knowles, and I've spent most of my career as a math and science teacher. Started off in Catholic schools at uh, Corpus Christi School in the Pacific Palisades. Uh, from there, I moved into administration at that site and also another site, uh, St. Lawrence Martyr School in Redondo Beach. Um, I spent uh, four years at the Archdiocese of Los Angeles Department of Catholic Schools as an assistant superintendent for elementary schools, um, where I focused mainly on stewardship and finance. And uh, now I'm back at a school site um, as a vice principal of the upper school, grades five through eight of American Martyrs in Manhattan Beach. It's kind of a nice, nice to be back, back at a school and um, back in the trenches. I'm having a good time with that, but um, it's been a great, uh, great road. Thanks, Chris, so much. Finally, Dave Gervasio. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, my name is Dave Gervasio, and I am currently the Vice President of Finance and Facilities at Ron Kelly High School. We're located in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm uh, going on, I believe it's year 29 here at the school. I started as a teacher and coach, as well as being, uh, back then it was called the business manager. And so I have spent uh, really 29 years in school finance, specifically uh, for Catholic schools. I did have the opportunity to do some consulting around the nation uh, in both the elementary and secondary Catholic school levels. I have uh, also been involved as an adjunct teacher of Catholic school finance at Notre Dame University. And uh, I've had the chance to author a couple of books 
uh, on finance uh, for Catholic schools through the NCEA. Thank you so much, Dave. And um, and Dave's book, Running a Smooth Financial Operation, will be uh, will be promoting a little bit uh, with our budget workshop. Uh, it's a great tool for uh, for educators in the field. So we're just going to have a conversation now about the workshop. Um, it's a three-day workshop, and each of our um, guests will be presenting a, a different day uh, on a different question about um, about the current situation and how we're thinking and how we want to guide educators really through a planning process for the next 12 months. We have in uncertain times with regard to where we are, so it's we're going to frame this conversation around the three sessions and just ask the question, and we're just going to engage in some conversation around that question um, to give you a little bit of a taste of, of where, um, where we're thinking um, about what these issues are and how we can address them to help uh, Catholic educators across the country. So the first question, and uh, we're going to start out with this. Nick Regina will be presenting this session, and it's really the question of where do you find yourself now with regard to your Catholic school? What, what circumstances and what, what's your reality with regard to COVID-19 and remote learning and remote instruction and parents and all of those things? So, Nick, maybe you want to kick us off a little bit about how, you know, how you're seeing that at Melbourne and maybe what you're hearing uh, from other parts of the country. Okay, uh, Kevin, and I think it's where all of us see ourselves now is not where we expected to see ourselves uh, if we go back eight, nine weeks ago. But our reality now is we've had to adapt and adjust you know, the way we deliver our program uh, to our students and to our families. Uh, and, and that adjustment is one that I think ultimately will benefit us as we go forward. So as we think about our current situation, understanding how that has changed the way we educate will inform us as we go forward. So among those things, you know, we can talk about academics, we can talk about uh, activities, we can talk about the, uh, the sports programs, community service, all those things, whether we're in elementary school or, or a secondary school are all part of what we do. Uh, and COVID-19 has changed the way we, we have to do those things. And so as we think about current situation, I think you know one of the things we wanna talk about in this session is what we are doing now and how does what we are doing now inform what we do as we go forward. So we want, that's in the session we want to talk about uh, uh, communication. How are, we, how are we communicating with our families? How is that different than it might have been before? Uh, we want to talk about uh, things that kind of extend a little bit outside of the classroom experience into kind of the business part of schools. You know, how has COVID-19 changed the way we market ourselves? How has it changed the way we recruit to get students in? How has it changed the way that we have to uh, work at retaining students? You know, we're, we're in a situation, many of us, uh, where families are struggling financially. How do we deal with that now and understand that how we deal with that now is going to inform us, as, as I was saying a little earlier, as we go forward? You know, how has uh, COVID-19 impacted uh, from a business perspective, from a revenue perspective, how has it impacted our development revenue? Uh, revenue that we were probably counting on. I'm sure there's a lot of schools out there that had, you know, uh, a gala event scheduled that had to be canceled. So we have to look at uh, how that has impacted us and how that will impact us as we go forward. And so the, the things, that we need to talk that we're talking about today are things that we need to talk about as we go forward because today informs tomorrow. 
Just the look and feel of everything has completely changed. Um, it's been, it was, it was a fast transition, um, so we had to move rather quickly. We announced on a Thursday that we were going remote learning. Um, we had a half day Friday for kids to come in and kind of wrap things up and grab their materials. And then that Monday was a pupil free, virtual pupil free day where we led the teachers through the process of online learning. Um, it gave them some PD on a few of the platforms that they would need to be using and really set them free. So just that interaction with the teachers and being able to, to support them is, has changed a lot. Um, it's not as easy as dropping in to the classroom. Um, the scheduling of everything has, has, has changed quite a bit. And also just the different realities of the family. One key thing that we've found um, in this different environment is that we really need to be flexible. Um, with our kids, we don't know what their home environment is like. I have two kids that are living with grandparents now because both parents are in the medical profession. And um, really, it's not safe for them to be around their kids at this point. Um, so every every family is different. Um, so being flexible um, and still trying to provide a quality educational experience has been what we've tried to take on. I think the flexibility is also going to need to come into, um, you know, to the finances, like Nick had started to mention as we as we plan for next year and look forward. Um, so I think, yeah, it's drastically changed. Um, the day-to-day -day. but um, we just we just had an, an event today where we had kids come in and be filmed briefly for their virtual graduation and and it was really nice to see them in person and know that they're still engaged and even though we're far you know away from them they're seeing them in the zooms and, and knowing that they're still engaged with their school and attending our virtual masses has been has been a nice thing thanks chris D dave uh you know we tend to see these things. This has obviously been a challenging, challenging time, but has any, have you learned anything about Ron Colley High School or your work through this process that you've thought, wow, that's a, that's a great lesson to learn through, uh, through some adversity and through kind of the reality that we are finding ourselves in um, and, and seeing that that's something you want to kind of hold on to as we, as we move through this challenging time? That's a great uh, question, Kevin. And really, you know, the, uh, the biggest piece that we learned, and I'll just stay big picture, is uh, all of us were thrown into the deep end of surviving online learning and trying to figure out how does that work with our schools? Um, how can we deliver that, uh, that service the best as we can to our families and our kids? And, um, you know, as, we, as you look at that uh, big picture piece and moving forward, I... I and looking at the pandemic itself, if you look at schools, um, I would list schools as being um, what I'll call extremely pandemic sensitive. Uh, in other words, if you look at uh, in the future what may happen, uh, the areas that are really impacted the most are uh, high traffic areas where you have a lot of people in close quarters. And uh, regrettably, we've really just defined a school um, and so in the future, you know, as we look ahead, we, we can certainly be um, uh, very uh, sensitive to uh, the return of the pandemic. So uh, one thing we did learn um, at our school was, was how can we uh, provide online learning? You know, we have thought going into it, we were already doing um, on-campus learning extremely well. And, uh, you know, we may find ourselves in, uh, as we, you know, as you were pointing out, Kevin, working through this 
pandemic in a situation where we may be moving back and forth between online learning and on-campus learning. So I do think uh, for us it was very valuable to understand uh, that we can do online learning and, um, and we know how to move back and forth now between those two uh, realities. Um, so, you know, going forward, we're looking at, uh, you know, right where we're at now, our states are beginning to reopen. Uh, and there are different levels and, uh, and, and different methods in different states, but each of us are starting to go through that process. So, you know, for us, uh, understanding and being flexible uh, with school overall, um, as well as, you know, on the financial side, when, when I am looking at things now, my window is completely different than where it was before. You know, when I would look at short-term and long-term planning, you know, short-term might be uh, a full fiscal year um, or maybe even one or two years. And long-term, that's when I was looking three, five, seven years down the road. Well, that is, uh, in this environment, that has completely changed. You know, my short-term is, is four to six months. Uh, what's going to happen between now and uh, two months in the next school year. And my long-term planning is really no more than, you know, 16 or 18 months down the road. So um, definitely a lot of changes in, in uh, where we're at now. Uh, definitely a lot of lessons learned that uh, are going to be useful going forward. Thanks, Dave. Um, and that your your point uh, allows us to make a great transition to the to the second session, uh, which really is about that planning for the next year and ha and kind of envisioning where do you want to be at the end of, of next school year, June twenty twenty one, and uh, and you rightly point out, Dave, that at uh, you know the short term has gr has has dramatically uh, uh, shortened. Right, <laughs> we have a tighter window now in which to see these things. And so I'll start off with uh, Chris on this question. Chris Knowles will be presenting this session for us at the uh, Budget and Finance Workshop on, uh, on May 21st. And, um, and Chris, when we start to think about this, Dave brought up a great point about long-term, short-term, and, and everything has to kind of adjust now because, you know, as he even mentioned, you might, we might have periods of time where we're in school and then back sheltering in place or maybe part of the school and all these different things. How do we begin to think about uh, those really difficult, challenging questions? It, it reminded me of a uh, question we had. We had a Zoom school board meeting last night, and um, one of the greatest questions that one of the uh, board members posed to the administration was, well, what have you learned from this process? And it was, it was a, a good time for us to think and reflect on the past eight weeks. Um, and one of the things I think we, we came down to was being able to be nimble, and um, but doing it with care. Um, and just like Dave pointed out, you know, we're going to be having to look at months instead of years. Um, we need to keep at the center of all of this change and all of this adjustment we need to make, keep at the center of, of all of our decisions. You know, what, why do we exist? Why are we here? What's our mission? And why do people want to be here? Um, and, and as long as we keep those things at the heart of all these decisions that we need, are going to have to be making um, soon regarding finance, um, regarding tuition rates, uh, regarding uh, tuition assistance, all of these questions, really, we need to make, the, make those decisions based on um, what's most important to us as a school. It goes right, yeah, right into what, what Dave mentioned regarding um, short term. So I think once you've kind of made your decision or moving forward uh, based on what you know, the second step I see is 
how are we analyzing the decisions that we've made and what kind of data can we collect um, in order to inform our next step. Um, if we're looking forward to August and coming back to school um, from that point, you know, we're going to need to have a, a regrouping and, a, and another evaluation of the decisions we've made in November. Um, so it really is going to be a month-to-month -month planning rather than this year long where we submit a budget and submitted a revised budget in September and we're good to go for the year. Well, things are going to be changing, especially for our families um, who are supporting our schools financially. And, uh, and uh, so when those realities change, they're going to hit us and we need to be have that nimble um, quality to be able to make adjustments and change. Thanks, Chris. That that description of being nimble, I think, is a really, really helpful way to think about this, um, especially because of the changing nature of, of where we find ourselves. Nick, when you're uh, you're thinking about next year, and I imagine any good budget planning, right? You think about what are what do we need to offer a good, high quality program for our kids, right? What do we need? What has changed with regard to the program, right? The good program, in quotes, um, with regard to COVID and and things that you might not have been thinking about three or four months ago for this upcoming school year that you now need to be thinking about uh, in terms of investment or or new spending. Well, you know, I think uh, what what we've been talking about a little bit, the, the biggest thing and, and the biggest unknown is the financial part of it and how much tuition assistance we may need to help families who are struggling uh, through COVID-19. So I think as, as we've been thinking about that, as we've been thinking about the finances for next year, and very much, uh, by the way, uh, Dave and Chris, it's not about a year or two down the road. It's, a, it's about months down the road and looking at it that way, is where we think our families are going to be, how much help are we going to have to give them? Uh, I think that's the biggest, from a budget perspective, that's the biggest uh, for, for whether we're in a high school or whether in, we're in an elementary school, we still have a program to deliver. So, you know, if I have, uh, if I'm in elementary school and I have 250 kids and I'm K to eight, I still need at least nine teachers and I should have a music teacher and an art teacher if I'm a high school and I have uh, 450 kids, I still need you know, four or five teachers a department to deliver the program. So those basic things don't change, but how creative can we be uh, in delivering that is one of those questions I think we all have to, to wrestle with. Uh, flex as as uh, Chris mentioned and Dave mentioned, flexibility, nimble on our feet, you know, trying to be proactive in a world that's forcing us to be reactive is one of those challenges that we have. Uh, but we need to be looking ahead at being as proactive as we can with what those challenges may be as we go forward. That's great. That's great. Um, thanks, Nick, that being proactive versus reactive. Uh, that's, that's, that's really great. Dave, thinking about the, the next year, um, and especially thinking about your role at Roncalli um, and, and this shift, um, what are the parents um, expressing? I mean, I don't know if there's job loss or not, or or I'm sure that if nothing else, there's economic anxiety. And and thinking about the next year, obviously you have tuition collection, but there's also um, development and uh, and fundraising and all those types of things. And uh, what are you thinking about there at Roncalli about the next year with regard to that those types of, of issues to, to generate revenue and bring revenue in for the school program? Yeah, that's a, a uh, first and, and, and at the forefront of our minds. 
would be looking, um, you know, directly at uh, at tuition, uh, looking directly at financial assistance. And I think the uh, overwhelming majority of our schools are uh, tuition-driven schools. That's the the um, uh, highest percentage of revenue of where we're going to um, receive our income. And, um, you know, so for us, essentially it starts, and I'll, and I'll talk from a financial perspective, um, essentially, uh, you know, I, I point out in the book and I always tell our boards and committees that, uh, that budgets are great, uh, but cash is king. And uh, for us, uh, we have to start with where's our cash level at? And, um, you know, as we project into the future, when I say project, you know, we're back to that four to six months or, you know, long term is 16 to 18 months. What do we think is going to happen with our tuition? What do we think we're going to need in terms of financial assistance? Uh, what, what are our program needs uh, going to be? And we may begin to, you know, we've, we typically try to break down into our, our programs into uh, what are the absolute essentials that we need for a program? What are things that we need to perpetuate uh, a really good program? And then, you know, maybe what are wish list items? In the past, we may have been able to get to, in a budget, uh, what were items that, uh, you know, we needed to perpetuate a good program. We may even get into wish list items that, you know, we're probably entering a phase where that's not possible and we're, we're, we're looking at, you know, what's absolutely essential. So those are the, the from a, from a, uh, cash flow standpoint, we're also looking at um, where, what, what are our reserves at, and uh, you know we're trying to project out cash flow wise, um, different scenarios as to what might happen uh, to those cash reserves. Uh, at the same time, we're looking at financial assistance, and uh, one you know one um, method that we are looking at uh, doing as well, uh, you know in, in a in a typical year, we may have had um, a few what we call special review dates to where, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, we would distribute financial assistance. So, uh, and, and then during the school year, we may have uh, one or two additional uh, special review dates to try and tackle uh, specific family situations. Well, you know, right now we have uh, significantly increased those number of financial assistance special review dates, and we are advertising that to our parents up front. Because the, one of the uh, things I think that we see is that this the pandemic, if it does continue on, there needs to be some comfort from a parent standpoint that uh, the school is going to continue to look at uh, my potential for lost income. So, uh, you know, we're looking at things from a, from a cash flow perspective. We're looking at things from um, program expense side of things and, and um, looking at financial assistance and tuition collection. Just big pieces that uh, uh, are needing to uh, uh, be looked at in terms of what's a, what's a good case scenario, um, what's a bad case scenario, and, and what's a worst case scenario. Great. That's, uh, that's, that's great. It's a really good way to think about, uh, about that planning piece. Um, we're going to stick with you, Dave, because the third session uh, will be how do we finance this, right? So we've started with where are you now, kind of where do you want to be in 12 months, ideally, and then now we're in the place where, okay, how am I going to do this? What's the process I'm going to use? 
And a tool you mentioned in your book that uh, that I'm a been a pretty big advocate for, as well as this idea of zero-based budgeting, which um, I don't I don't know percentage-wise, but I don't know many Catholic schools really think in terms of zero-based budgeting. So, Dave, maybe give a thirty-second overview of what zero-based budgeting is in concept, and then why do you think that is a, a good relevant tool to plan for this next year um, uh, with this uncertainty? Sure. The Overview in terms of zero-based budgeting, there's really, I like to try and break it out into two different styles of budgeting. Um, the zero-based budgeting is one style or method. Another is what I might call a, a percentage-based budgeting. And um, a percentage-based budgeting essentially takes a look at, well, this is the, ac the actual or this is what our budget was from last year. And then I'm gonna take a certain percentage uh, increase or decrease from that uh, dollar figure. Uh, whereas zero-based budgeting says, I'm not, not necessarily concerned with what happened last year or even what my budget was for last year. I'm going to take this individual account and I'm going to start at zero and we're going to build that account. Um, and when we build that account up, we're going to take a look at uh, as I mentioned you know, previously, maybe uh, you, you look at what are the absolute essentials that we need uh, and then maybe what are items to perpetuate a good program uh, and then what are our wish list items. That just might be a method of, of building that uh, and you're going to do this with every account. You're going to build that, that account from zero um, and um, identify uh, what, we, what you may end up with uh, in terms of a specific dollar amount for that individual account. So, uh, and and the the general reason um, it just doesn't make in my mind it doesn't make sense to use percentages from a year ago when that data is uh, is really almost irrelevant in terms of of what's going to be happening in the future. Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that, and that's why I think we'd advocate to use that zero based approach because it's uh, just to look back uh, at the beginning of this this current school year and think about basis you know for that for making adjustments just doesn't seem relevant for at least the vast majority of schools nick i'll turn to you um zero based budgeting i'm not sure if you do that at melbourne but what that would really involve is really prioritizing and and uh, the challenging decisions of elimination and so how do you do you think about in terms of uh, maybe scarcer resources than you're used to how do you make those prioritization decisions um, uh, in your own world and how would you advocate other schools to make those decisions regarding prioritizing uh, importance well the, the priority is always the kids i think everything starts there and what's going to benefit our students as dave described zero-based budgeting we do probably sort of a hybrid of that is, is how I learned to do it. And so, uh, you know, there, there are some things we know we're gonna have a cost too. That, that's one of the challenges, uh, as, as most folks know, the, the biggest cost is personnel within the budget. And so in some cases, there's a, there's a fixed cost to that. We need X number of teachers, we need X number of staff members. But in terms of the priority in keeping the students first, we do have to look at our staffs in total, not just teachers, but faculty, staff, administration, maintenance, everybody who works at the school, I think we have to look at and the roles that everybody plays. Uh, and then 
uh, we look at what the programs we need to provide to our students and how we best provide those programs to our students, but always with the, the good of the students at heart. And I think that's, that's where Dave, when Dave talks about what is what we need and what is a wish list, it's, it, it is really working with, with uh, in, in the case of a high school or in the case, it would be department chairs and the principal as, as me as the president helps build that budget. At an elementary school, the principal working with the individual classroom teachers. What are the needs of those classrooms? What are the real needs? What are the wish list needs? And beginning to prioritize what we can do that best benefits the kids uh, within kind of a world where we know that probably typically 60 to 70% of our budgets are, are gonna be tied up in, in salary and benefits for the employees at the school. Absolutely, that's, uh, that's a great point. Um, Chris, uh, so Chris and I worked together at the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, and I know Chris worked with a lot of schools that were struggling because um, of they served uh, lower income populations or they had just challenging financial situations. And so, Chris, we've been talking a little bit of a high level, you know, through the podcast. Um, I don't know if you've reflected a little bit on this. I know you have. Um, how those schools in, in, in more challenging financial situations, how do they kind of think through these questions and plan and finance for the next year with, uh, with this uncertainty? I, I think it's going to be um, extremely challenging for those schools in the, in the lower income populations. Um, before this uh, pandemic hit, those families were already making, you know, significant sacrifices um, to be able to afford that that small amount to send their kids to Catholic schools and in their budgets, it wasn't a small amount. Um, so I think they're going to be, you know, harder hit than than schools in more affluent areas that uh, may have a little bit more to fall back on. Um, I think it's going to be crucial, like like uh, Nick was mentioning, we really have to look at our our expenses and 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 figure out what is most critical. Um, and the, the sad part is I've already done that with a lot of these schools in the tough areas in the normal time. So we're going to have to, they're going to have to go through that process once again and um, really identify those critical needs. It's going to be difficult for schools to cut when there's not much to cut. Um, we're going to have to be creative, um, finding ways to help support them, uh, hopefully from the archdiocese as well as, as um, other, other philanthropic organizations that have supported. Hopefully they'll be able to keep their support coming. Um, but I am, I am worried about um, our schools in the lower income areas and I hope that um, we can come together as a larger system and uh, look out for them and, and try and support them in, in new and creative ways that maybe we haven't in the past. Uh, there's a question I'll kind of open this up maybe for um, for anyone to to take, but I am wondering what you're thinking about in terms of kind of the capital P philanthropy. I'm not talking about bake sales and those types of things that might take place in an individual school, but um, do any sense on where philanthropy will be with regard to support for some of these schools, especially those on the margin? And Nick, why don't you go ahead and, and start with that? Yeah, I think in in this time more than ever uh, we uh, we as catholic schools need this to think uh, more down the development road than we do down the fundraising road where um, typically we we tend to fall when we're, we're trying to generate philanthropic revenue through 
events or sales of things. Uh, I think we have to take the time to identify those folks who are part of our constituency and, and take the message to them, uh, take the mission to them, make the case for support. Within the challenge though, uh, Kevin, of a world that they may be struggling too, our donors may be struggling uh, within this COVID-19 world. Uh, but I, I just believe very firmly from a development perspective that strong development is about relationships and it's maintaining those relationships that we have now uh, and continuing to steward those relationships and, and making the right case for the support that we need. Uh, whether it's a facilities issue that we might have or more likely a, a tuition assistance need, you know, who are those folks that, that are typically supportive of us that we can talk to personally about what the situation is? I think this, this is uh, COVID-19 presents a, a good opportunity for us to get back to the basics of what good development, what good philanthropy in a school is. Maybe the, the capital P is philanthropy there. Uh, that's, where, that, that's where we're thinking our, our, our time needs to be spent. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You know, one of the things I was struck by with this whole uh, shift is how um, I was really just inspired by stories I heard from across the country on how seamlessly, really, um, teachers and principals and schools just kind of made this transition to uh, to remote teaching and learning. And I think that's something that we need to use as a selling point that uh, the Catholic schools are nimble, that they are uh, creative, they're innovative, they think, um, they think differently, and they're able to provide um, resources to students in just a remarkable way. And at the same time, they're going to be struggling financially because this economic hit is going to really impact parents' ability to pay tuition. It's going to impact um, their ability to offer a high-quality program. So that messaging that, that starts from strength about what we do very, very well in Catholic schools uh, kind of married to the fact that we are going to have some financial challenges uh, in the coming months and, and, and years, um, I think is, can be a, a really good selling point. We have an interesting uh, situation down here in Florida, which I don't know if Chris and Dave you're experiencing in your areas, uh, but one of the things we're doing really well is really uh, managing our students and communicating with our students and understanding where, you know, where they are, at what point they are academically, making sure that they're staying on task. And that is um, uh, an interesting thing down here because stories are starting to circulate that some of the public school districts are unable to find thousands of kids who have never logged in. And when you talk about a value add of Catholic schools, it's that that personal touch, it's beyond the cliche of we take care of your kid, we really do take care of your kid. And so maybe that's one of those uh, areas of development of messaging and value that we take to our donors. I couldn't agree with you more, Nick. The minute we were uh, doing online learning, we, could, we understood that it was gonna be uh, not only a challenge uh, academically, but it was gonna be a challenge uh, socially and emotionally. Uh, for our kids, and, and one of the things that uh, our school did do was to call every family um, and also made uh, at-home visits uh, in which, you know, uh, we had administrators who were just standing on the porch of the family just to check on them, uh, and it is that, uh, that personal one-on-one -on -one touch that uh, is certainly needed uh, in these times and is certainly can be something that separates uh, the Catholic school from that local public school. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more with both Nick and Dave on on that point. Um, we are so proud of our teachers and the, all the efforts they've made to make sure the kids have, you know, had the chance to stay engaged and and are engaged. And um, I'm CC'd on uh, every communication the teachers send out, and it's a little overwhelming at times. But just to see the detail and the care that they have um, in making sure that they're touching each and every student with their with their teaching has been been a real blessing to see. Um, there was an anecdotal story I heard today, you know, talking with Catholic educators about um, somebody in a different system that really they're, they're not even allowed to, to deliver core content in a, in a Zoom session because of, you know, the inability to, to, to connect um, with kids, which I, I found kind of sad seeing how effective it can be um, with the teachers that I've got here working hard to do it. That's great. Well, uh, just please uh, join me in thanking Dave, Nick, and Chris for uh, for sharing their time with us, their uh, energy, their their thoughts. I am um, uh, I for one am extremely excited about the budget workshop. Uh, again, that'll be taking place on May twentieth, twenty first, and twenty second. Each day will begin at one p.m. Eastern. Uh, the presentation will be about an hour at length, and then we'll have an opportunity uh, after that to have some Q and A with those who will be uh, in attendance. And you can find all that information on the NCA website ncea.org. Thank you, as always, for joining us on the NCEA podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer, and I look forward to seeing you next time.